Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to just come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and hear your word and pray together and seek your face. And Lord, I just submit myself to you and your purposes tonight. I pray that you'd have your way through me. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me to communicate and help all of us to hear what you would say through the story of your servant Paul. Lord, we talked about Peter last week and now we're going to share about Paul and I just ask for inspiration as we talk about this man of God. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Did, did it, everybody got notes? No, did you hand those out? Mama, did you get notes back there? Okay, thank you, Joshua. Caleb, did you get them, buddy? Let's hook this guy up here. So at camp a couple weeks ago, you guys said you learned about Paul, right? And then you learned about some missionaries. That, that kind of inspired me to, I eventually wanted to teach on Paul. But since we've been doing this series on the book of Acts, it kind of just made sense to talk about that. So thank you for the inspiration, boys. But there's... So much we could talk about when it comes to the life of Paul. I'm just going to hit on a few introductory comments. But uh, Paul is also called Saul, Saul of Tarsus. They're both kind of like Simon and Peter are both ways to say the same person. Paul and Saul are the same person. and, and, And it's appropriate to refer to him as both because the Bible does. Those names are used interchangeably. And he is, in the New Testament, the most eminent figure aside from Jesus himself. That's the level that he rises to in Scripture. He writes half the New Testament. Half the books were written by Paul. And so he, there's so much we could say about him. We're going to touch on a lot of that tonight. But he is, uh, he is very prominent, and I would, I would put him categorically only second to the Lord. Now, second to the Lord is still a far cry. From, you know, there's, there's everyone, and then there's Jesus way up there. But Paul is certainly um, called to be a very prominent leader. Yes, bless the little ones. We love the little ones even when they stub their toes. So Paul not only was influential 2,000 years ago when he was physically leading the church, but he's still influential today. We read the things Paul wrote, and everything he wrote was just letters. He, he, you know, so he was in jail, he had time, he wrote letters, or he was traveling and had time and wrote things down. So most, 
I think nearly everything he wrote was in, in letter form to either an individual or a, a group of churches or a citywide church. But he is still having massive influence. His words inspired by the Spirit uh, are still hugely influential. Just a very important man. And, uh, and so we're going to cover as much as we can of his life. Again, we don't ever give any amount of veneration due to the Lord to any man, but we do recognize certain people had roles and they, they, they wrote things and they influenced churches and, and whatnot. We, we can study that and say, okay, I see the grace on that person in a heightened way and that's important, but we, we give the ultimate veneration to the Lord, of course. We only worship one man. We only praise one man, and that is Jesus himself. But we look to the life of Paul and go, this man became a lot like Christ. This man who said, follow me as I follow Christ, really followed Christ well, so we look to his example. But before we talk about some of like the highlight reel of Paul, we look before conversion and we go, there's no way this man's even going to become a Christian. I want to read Acts 22, 3 through 5, because we all know Paul the Apostle wasn't always an apostle. Paul the Apostle was once Paul the persecutor or Saul of Tarsus the persecutor. He writes... In Acts 22, 3 through 5, well, this is Luke writing, of course, who wrote the book of Acts. This is one of the stories of Saul the persecutor, Saul of Tarsus. And he was giving his testimony in Acts 22, and he says, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, which he's talking about Jerusalem here taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God as all as you all are today and he says this i persecuted this way to the death the way was the church the way was just an expression for believers i persecuted this way to the death he was giving his testimony Binding and delivering into prison men and women. As also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. So when Paul was giving his testimony real far into the book of Acts, because there's about three instances where we hear his story he, he makes clear he was not just an unbeliever. He wasn't just unsaved going about his life. He adhered to a very strict interpretation, the strictest possible interpretation of the strictest sect of Judaism and the law of Moses. I was wondering who that little church mouse was. So when Paul would explain what he believed before conversion, he was not only a Pharisee, he was the strictest kind of Pharisee, and Pharisee was the strictest like branch of Judaism. <laughs> and so he's the strictest of the strict form of following the law of Moses, 
And on top of that, he was really zealous. And on top of that, he was really young. And you put all that together, and he just had a, 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 just a real broken kind of zeal. So he, was, he really thought, I'm doing the work of God. And so when there was this, in his mind, this cult or this sect started growing after the death and resurrection of Christ, he said, I'm going to persecute these people. I'm going to bind them in chains and take them to prison. And I'm going to, even if they're in faraway cities, I'm going to travel there with with a, a letter of commendation from the appropriate authorities and I'm going to bring them back and some of them are even going to kill because that's what you do to anything that comes against, you know, the, my interpretation of the law. And so Saul was really zealous. I have here on letter B, just to put this in kind of our nomenclature, Saul was really what we would today call a religious extremist. That's what Saul of Tarsus really was. When we hear on the news about jihadi or extremist forms of religion where they kill people, this is what Saul was. He was, he was not just like a, a devout conservative. He was... He was so devout, he was willing to take the lives of others. This is the kind of person we're dealing with. And it makes you think, what does God think of these people? If they're that murderous, if they're that angry, if they have such a wrong view of God that they would be willing to do this to people, can they even be saved? Well, Paul's life teaches us so much. But he was what we would consider an extremist. Once again, he persecuted and killed members of the early church. If you remember in the book of Acts, he was there when Stephen was martyred. The first martyr on record in the Bible was Stephen. If you remember, he was being stoned and he was praying, Lord, forgive them. And they said his face looked like the face of an angel. And he said, I see Jesus at the right hand of God. And they stoned him and he died. And then the next verse says, and there's a young man named Saul watching, giving his approval, nodding, going, I'm glad he's dead. He's, he's out of the way now. So that kind of gives you an idea of what Saul like. He's watching a guy get stoned going, I like that. That guy who claimed to love Jesus, who started this Christian way, I'm glad he's dead. He deserved that punishment. Again, this is a rough guy. This is, this, is a, this is a tough one. So he's presiding over Stephen's execution. He was young. He was motivated by strict interpretation of the law. And he had this flawed zeal. You know, when I think of this man before he was converted, it reminds me of a verse in John 16 too. Jesus warned the early disciples, the, disciples, the 12, he warned, he said, there will come a day, in John 16, 2, there is a time coming that people will kill you thinking they, they are offering God's service. Jesus says this, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service he was thinking of Saul. 
That was the kind of person Saul was. He thought by killing the Christians, he was worshiping God. He was doing the right thing. And oh, he was about to get his world turned upside down. Now think about this. Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor of the church, was so infamous that when he did become a Christian, the believers literally could not believe it. It says it in the Bible, Acts 9.26, they believed Jesus had been resurrected from death. They believed that, but they couldn't believe this man named Saul had become a believer. That shows you just how murderous and how deranged Saul of Tarsus was. This, this was truly an evil man. By, I mean, think of the most radical extremist out there. This was what Saul was like. Again, I think they believed Jesus had been raised from the dead and was seated at the right hand of the Father. They believed that, but they couldn't believe this man named Saul was, was now a Christian. That's just how, that's how infamous he'd become. And so now that I've painted this picture of how dark his pre-conversion days were, how does he become a Christian? How does this man who was like that, is there any chance he becomes a Christian? Is there any hope? Well, we know. What does Jesus do when someone that evil, that murderous, that angry, he is... In fact, I think it's humorous. This man was so possessed with eradicating the church. In Acts verse 9, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. It says that he was breathing threat, like every breath, every breath was a threat and a threat of murder. I mean, this man is just possessed with this notion, I'm going to eradicate. And the more he got angry and the more he persecuted, the more Jesus had his finger. It was like he became a target. And Jesus says, I'm going to just blow this guy up. I love this man. Now we think of, in our unrenewed parts of our mind, we say, well, that man's not worthy to become a Christian. He's killing Christians. God, in his infinite wisdom and love, goes, no, that's the perfect candidate because everyone will know it's a miracle if that guy turns to me. And so the more fierce, the more he persecutes, the more he gets breathing anger and threats, the target gets bigger. And then in Acts chapter 9, the the rest of the story He's journeying to Damascus. Suddenly, a light shone around him from heaven. The light comes on. I love this. He falls to the ground. It blasts him off his feet. Falls to the ground. He hears a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? He says, why are you persecuting me? Because he takes persecution personally. Those men and women that were being bound and put in prison and who were being killed, he took that personal. But there was an appointed time for Saul of Tarsus to meet Jesus. And so, I mean, think of the things Jesus could have said. What what are you doing, Saul? 
What are you doing killing people? He could have said anything, but what he says amazes me. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so in, in a kind of a dizzy, blinded state, Saul says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says to him, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And then he says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. The goad was the thing that they would hit the animal with to get it to walk and to go faster. That's what a, I mean, it was kind of a, you're goading the, the animal along when you're riding the animal or like a cart behind it, you're hitting the thing in the rear end, go! And so Jesus was saying, look, you can kick against me, what, but you're never going to be able to resist me. I'm coming after you and I will win. That same God who wrestled Jacob and touched his hip and weakened him and, and, had, and, and that same way that he won over Jacob, he'll win us over. And he came and he touched Saul and just the way he needed it, he just blew him up, knocked him over and said, you're persecuting me, I've got need of thee. I will use you if you'll turn to me. In other words, what he's saying is, Saul, your zeal, is his, it's so warped, you're not actually serving me. But if you want to serve me the right way, I'll tell you what to do. Amen. Amen. And that's exactly what we hear. It says Saul was trembling. How do you make a man who makes everyone else tremble start trembling? Well, only Jesus can do that. I mean, when, see, when someone said the name Saul of Tarsus, people trembled, but there's a, there's a bigger name. <laughs> that even Saul of Tarsus would, ah, she, oh, who are you? He's trembling now. He's astonished. And he says, what do you want me to do? I mean, he, he basically asked two questions. Who are you? I'm Jesus. Okay, what do you want me to do? I mean, it, the, the encounter was so authentic, he just knew. The lights came on instantly. You're God, and I have a mission. to. I know, I get it. It was just that fast. And I praise God, he still does this today. No matter what we've done in our past, when we encounter Jesus, it can be that fast. Who are you? I'm God. Okay? I want to be in relationship with you. What do I do now? I'll tell you. Just keep going. And it's just that, it doesn't take 30 years to get on the right track. It's just an instant. I mean, I I love that Jesus didn't say, well, go to Bible college now to take Take, get your PhD for, I mean, those are fine. But this was just instantaneous. He was in. He was born again. He's a believer now. He said yes. I love that. So he meets Jesus. And if you ever want to just read a little bit more, I have all three stories. There's a bullet under letter C, Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26. They're the same story with different details, and some of, the, some of the details are very interesting, but there's three stories of his conversion. Very interesting. So he gets converted. He meets Jesus. He's in. He says yes. He knows he's got a job to do. Now let's go over to Acts 9.15. These are just a couple verses this is like right when he becomes a believer. Like this is, imagine you're like 18, 19, 20 years old. You've been persecuting the church. And the moment you're saved, this is what Jesus says to you. He was, this is Jesus telling Ananias, who is ministering to Saul, go 
For he is a chosen vessel of mine. He's talking about Saul. He's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. The moment he gets saved, he gets a word through Ananias. He's going to preach me to Gentiles. He's going to preach me to kings, political rulers, the Jewish people. And there are many sufferings that he will endure. What a word. You know, when we read that, we, we go, oh, my goodness. But we know that the way of the kingdom is suffering is unto glory. There were many glories that Jesus was inviting Saul into, but the way into some of the, the greater glories of the Christian life are by means of suffering. Suffering is a front door. It's not an end. Suffering is you go through that front door into a house of much greater glory. So much of the Christian life remains closed off to us until we allow the Lord to kind of temper us and, and take us through pressures and trials. Those sufferings of life are what open us up to greater things. It's the way of the kingdom. Now we turn to Acts 22, verse 6. I'm all over the place, but I have them all written down there. Acts 22, verse 6, something else Jesus tells Paul. Acts 22, 6, he's telling his story. I'm sorry, I'm not going to read all of that. I'm, uh, I'm sorry, I'm at Acts 26. Acts 26, 16 to 18. This was something else Jesus said, Paul. He said, Rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of things which you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. What a calling. I mean, imagine you're on the road to Damascus and Jesus tells you that. Oh, what a word. What an amazing word. So this, as soon as Paul is converted, he's given a very clear commissioning. I, I mean, I wish it was that simple, but it only comes to, it doesn't come to everybody like that. I'm down on number three, uh, Roman numeral three, letter A. It becomes clear very quickly that Paul was given an apostolic calling, a heightened leadership calling. The way I describe it is he was called to be a senior apostolic leader. And this all happens just in a moment. He wasn't just called to be run-of-the-mill Christian. He was called to be an apostle to other apostles. I mean, I think the weight of that responsibility. He was called to be a spiritual father to other spiritual fathers. This former persecutor, this former religious extremist is given that job title by Jesus. He was called to lead the early church as the senior most leader even above Peter, who we talked about last week. He, he was called to write literally half the New Testament. 
has written, so he interpreted the Old Testament and wrote the New Testament with his interpretation of the Old Testament after he met Jesus. That is incredible to me. And so he gives physical leadership. He writes the Bible. He writes most of our New Testament. Once again, 13 of the 26 books of the New Testament, Paul authored himself. Some of them are really short, but numerically, half of the books were written by this former persecutor. He preached the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles. Once again, I just think this is worth noting. There is no equal. Aside from the Lord, he has no apostolic, he has no theological, he has no historical equal. He was up there. Why do I make that a point? Because someone that far gone can be used to those heights if they surrender to the Lord. Once again, Saul murdered people. Saul persecuted the people Jesus loves. He did everything wrong you could think of, and yet Jesus says, perfect candidate to even lead leaders because everyone will know only a miracle of grace could do that. Everyone that hears this man preach will know that's the former persecutor. How could that happen in his life? That Jesus must be real. Now, not all of us are going to have that dramatic of a testimony, but the same Jesus who touched Saul of Tarsus is touching persecutors today, and he will raise them up to be apostles in different nations, and we must know that's going to happen, and we must pray that direction. As a house of prayer, as we pray for the persecuted church, one of the most effectual ways we will pray for the persecuted church is to pray for the ones who are persecuting the church. Lord, what you did to Saul of Tarsus, do it to that man or do it to that woman. Save them and raise them up to be leaders. It's almost as if Jesus knew we wouldn't believe for someone that far gone to be saved if he didn't do it. It's amazing to me. How many more Saul of Tarsuses are out there today? How many are out there and they have a, an extremist ideology right now? Whether they live in somewhere in Africa or the Middle East or China, Russia, you know, I mentioned Africa, but Somalia, Afghanistan, somewhere, somewhere in Mexico. There are so many people out there, they have an extremist ideology, and Jesus says, I'm going to touch them. I will save them. Don't just fear persecution and do nothing. Pray for the persecutors. Because here's the thing, if, if one Saul of Tarsus gets saved in our day, that'll affect nations. That'll affect the earth. Saul of Tarsus was used in a way that touched the earth. Man, I think if we start to see a couple Saul of Tarsuses saved in America, I want to see the next Billy Graham be a former persecutor. 
I want to see the next Reinhard Bonnke who did crusades where the, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of the old Reinhard Bonnke crusades where there was millions of people and it looked like it was Photoshop, but this was before Photoshop. <laughs> Not dating myself. It was just a sea of millions of people that would gather. We need to see this again. I would venture to say that some of those greats like the Reinhard Bonkies and the Billy Grahams and those who will lead stadiums to the Lord, they're right now, they're persecuting the church. They're awaiting prayer. I'm going to make a few more points. We'll not go too much longer. What makes Paul unique to me other than all of his accomplishments. His accomplishments are un, they're incomparable. No one else stands up to... The, Paul's resume, there's no comparison except for Jesus. Jesus far above, always. But what amazes me other than what I've been sharing is that he was an outsider. Jesus did not train Saul of Tarsus personally like he did Peter... Bartholomew, and, you know, all the other apostles, John. He worked with them personally. Saul of Tarsus was an outsider. Saul of Tarsus wasn't among the 12. He wasn't among the 120 at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. He was on the outside. He wasn't even saved yet. And he uses an outsider to give leadership to some of, to all of the, those that Jesus himself trained. That's amazing to me. Paul's life is an evidence of what Jesus said in John 16, 7. In John 16, 7, Jesus says one of his most remarkable statements, something that I think about often and I just scratch my head. In John 16, 7, that was the moment Jesus told his disciples, it's better that I leave. Because if I leave, I will send you the Holy Spirit. Again, if I was in that meeting, I'd say, Jesus, pretty sure it's better if you stay. Because wherever you go and whoever you touch, heaven breaks in. And Jesus says, no, it's actually better that I go because the Holy Spirit can be everywhere can be inside of every disciple and can be uh, working in ways that I'm Jesus was limited physically he could be in one place at one time the Holy Spirit can be in a billion believers at once and so what I think is very compelling is that Saul's life is an evidence it was better that Jesus left because now the Holy Spirit fell And someone with the Holy Spirit in them named Paul, the work the Spirit did, because again, Jesus didn't train him personally, the work the Spirit did was so effectual that he was able to lead leaders. He was able to apostle apostles. He was able to father fathers. That's how powerful the Holy Spirit can work in a life because once again, you'd think, well, Saul was that great, or Paul the Apostle, same person, because Jesus trained him, but Jesus didn't train him. The Holy Spirit working on the inside trained Paul the Apostle. And so that same Holy Spirit 
Again, and, and this is just the argument that I know would happen. If Paul was trained directly by Jesus, we would always say, well, it's because Jesus trained him that he's that great. But actually, the Holy Spirit in him is the one who trained him. And that's the same Holy Spirit we have. That same Holy Spirit that was able to work that effectually in Paul works in Andre and Pat and Caleb and Noah. Back row, <laughs> ladies. We, we have just as much of an ability to be used by the Lord as Saul was. Paul. Let me just throw a few concluding thoughts out there. We've looked at Saul before and after his conversion, touched a little bit on his calling. But let me just bring this home. Four quick thoughts. If Saul of Tarsus can become a Christian, anyone can. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul said of himself, he said, I'm the chief of all sinners. And if the chief of sinners can be saved, you can, I can, anyone can. There's no past too bad, no sin too bad that that person cannot be saved. We should never look at anyone and say they're beyond the grace of God. I don't care what their sin is. The world may look on with disgust at certain sins, but we know the grace of God can reach them. Here's the thing. Some people break the law and Jesus will reach them in prison, in jail. I'm not saying we throw away laws, but nobody, I don't care how heinous their crime, nobody's beyond the grace of God. It doesn't mean everybody will receive it. Some people might have a road to Damascus experience and still say no, but they're accountable before the judgment seat. I mean, it's like, can you imagine him saying no? Like, it was so clear. Like, he's real. I, I'm, I'm in now. People could still say no, but it gets really hard to because Jesus just is that powerful. But anybody, anybody, no matter what, can be saved. We need a gospel that's for everybody. Doesn't mean everybody will say yes, but Jesus will save anyone that will call on his name. If someone asks me or you, can I be a Christian too? How do I do that? How do I get on the team? You believe on Jesus. That's it. You believe. That's the work. You believe. You're in. Boom. Done. There were no 12 steps for Saul on the road to Damascus. He looked up. Lord, is that? Okay, that's you. Yeah, I'm in. Okay. <laughs> it was just that fast. In an instant, we're saved. Now we spend the rest of our life maturing. My family knows I still need to mature in a lot of ways. Saving faith, that's instantaneous. I believe I'm in. Okay. Boom. Now the maturing of our faith takes, takes till our last breath. We're not getting more saved, but we're working out our salvation. We're getting more and more mature like Jesus. If Saul can get saved, just always remember that. If the most crazy, radical sinner can get saved, anybody can. No one's beyond the reach. Now here's number two, real quick. 
just say a prayer. Lord, make me aware of persecution out there. Go on a few websites, do a little bit of a study. Persecution is so rampant today, not so much in America or the Western world, although it's growing. But just get, get acclimated with it and begin to pray for persecutors to meet Jesus. Just, we have a global prayer night here once a month where we really lock into it. But we can pray this anytime. Pray for persecutors in our day, just like Saul, to get saved. And also, just to make it more personal, maybe there's people you know, I know, where we think to ourselves, there is no way that person will ever be a Christian. Might be a movie star, might be you know, an athlete, or someone we, a friend we know, or a neighbor. What if we prayed, Lord, do in their life what you did for Saul of Tarsus? Wouldn't it be cool to see the most, the person most far away from God, the, the local professor who takes pride in being an atheist? What if that man or woman got saved? Number three, real quick, Paul is not to be thought of as an exception. Some people think of what happened to Paul as like this rare one-time thing. I believe it's, it's, it's to be looked at as like a first fruits of many. Paul was not just a one and done. He's a first fruits. There will be many more. God's saying this is, this is the first of a whole line of persecutors that will come to know me. I want to just give your mind a thought here. We tend to think of persecution and go, oh no. You want to know how heaven looks down? <laughs> heaven looks at the persecutor and says, that's dangerous to do what you're doing. Because the more you persecute my church, says the Lord, the target gets bigger. It's very dangerous to be a persecutor. Some people think, well, it's dangerous to be a Christian nowadays. No, it's really seriously dangerous to be a persecutor. Because the more they breathe threats, the more they want to murder, the more they, they do murder, the target just gets bigger. And the, I mean, it's like the arrow gets pulled back further and further and further. And it just strikes the heart. That person gets saved. And so the people who get most animated about persecuting the Lord says, angel, touch them today. Boom, they're in. And then they're, they're the ones winning many to the Lord. And so if you're a persecutor out there listening, it's very dangerous because Jesus is this loving king and he will smile at you and just touch you with one little iota of his power and blast you off your feet with a ball of light on a road to Damascus and you're in all of a sudden and you're just like, what happened? Well, if you persecute him, he comes knocking. Honestly, the best thing unbelievers can do is leave the church alone, but that's never how it works. When people get really anti-Christ, they start persecuting, they start imprisoning, they get all, all unjust, and then eventually the arrow gets pulled back far enough and it's so tight, and then Saul's start getting saved. That's just how it goes. So just know that. Maybe there's someone in your life that just bugs the daylights out of you. Just, Lord, just what you did in the life of Paul. Do it in them, God. Do it in them. Make it a sincere prayer. You never know. It may happen quick. It may take a lifetime. But we just pray. 
One closing thought here. I know I said I had four. This is number four, so we'll close with this. As big as I've made Paul seem tonight, because he is just a towering figure, before conversion and after conversion, this man is nearly larger than life, still way smaller than Christ. But even this man named Paul needed other people. And let me just give three quick instances of this. When Paul first got saved, do you remember who was right there ministering to him? This is Acts chapter 9. It's kind of a funny story. There's a, a lot of funny stories in the Bible. That's not, that's John 9, not Acts 9. Let me get over to. The road to Damascus happens. Saul is just now saved, and so Jesus goes over to a guy named Ananias. He says, Ananias, I've got need of thee. There's this guy walking around blind because I blinded him, knocked him off his feet. I need you to go pray for him. I love this story. The light is so bright, the Bible describes it brighter than the sun, and it blinded Saul of Tarsus for three days. I mean, there's a whole parable in that even. So Ananias is told by the Lord, you minister to him and get him, you know, cleaned up. And Ananias says, says, no, that guy's a persecutor. He'll kill me. And Jesus says, I've taken care of that a few seconds ago. But you go pray for him and tell him a few prophetic words. And that's where he gets his sight. The scales fall out of his eyes, that whole thing. But even that first moment of his conversion, Saul is learning You're going to be a mighty man of God, but you need people to minister to you. This is a lesson for all of us. No matter how God uses us, we need people. We need an Ananias that can lay hands on us when we have an encounter with the Lord and bless us. And then just a few verses later, this new convert named Saul comes into town. No one believes he's saved, but Barnabas, this is verse 26, they were all afraid of him. They didn't believe he was a disciple, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he said he'd seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and he'd preached at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas stuck up for Paul. No one believed he was really a Christian. They thought he was secretly trying to get in to find out who all the apostles were so he could kill him. And Barnabas said, no, I don't, I'm, this is real. He saw the Lord. He's different. He's preaching now. And so he had an Ananias help him. And then he had a Barnabas. You go to the very, I mean, there's so many people that, that helped Paul throughout his journey. Some didn't help him. And there's a couple of those stories. But I mean, the last chapter of the book of Acts after, I mean, the book of Acts spans 30 years. So three decades passed from chapter 1 to chapter 28. Paul had been stoned so many times, left for dead so many times, shipwrecked. So much had happened in his life. In Acts 28, 15, he was coming to the end of one of his journeys, and it says there was the brethren, we don't know who the brethren are, the brethren came to meet Paul, and it says when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. So there's this group of guys that he knew, they met at some point, and even Paul, the mighty apostle, was like, oh, thank God, they're here. I'm encouraged because the brethren are here. 
Again, no matter how much God uses us, we need our Ananias, we need our Barnabas, we need the brethren, we need people to help us through the journey. So that's a little bit about the conversion of calling of Paul. That's a few thoughts to take home. And I'll end it right there. You've been patient with me. Okay, let me just pray and then we'll We'll close this up and we'll do a little praying ourselves. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. And we're so encouraged by how you've you've moved in this man's life. And if you've moved in this man named Saul or Paul in this way, how much more will you continue doing it? And Lord, even our prayer tonight... The same way you moved in Saul of Tarsus, the same way you raised up Paul the Apostle, do it in our day, do it in our city, do it in our... For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org slash donate. That's gphop.org slash donate. Thank you, and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.